I'm Tom Perferman, and this is Series 1 of the TEP Investments Podcast. Welcome to TEP Investments. This podcast aims to educate and inspire by exploring the personalities and the stories behind world-class investors. We investigate the behaviours, habits, insights, skills, and psychology of high-performing individuals, both within and outside of the investing world. Guest on this episode is Mark Monfort. Mark is a data analytics and technology advocate at heart. He lives and breathes the ecosystem and has a storied career focusing on the creation of data-driven solutions across a variety of industries in Australia and overseas. He began his career in insurance and audit, but it was his time as an analyst at Cominsure, part of Commonwealth Bank, that fueled his passion for the better path that analytics could lead to. Mark has spent a good proportion of the last six years focusing on data and technology in the world of financial markets, combining his skills with an understanding of macroeconomics and fundamental equity research. Leveraging the knowledge learnt from working in equity research firms and at the ASX, he has a strong knowledge of the capital markets here and overseas, and we'll hear more about these experiences today. In addition, Mark is the founder of the popular tool ETF Tracker, a regular on Equity Mates and Ausbiz, and is the managing director of New Era Analytics. Mark, it's a pleasure to have a data analytics and ETF guru such as yourself on the podcast. Thanks for having me, Tom. Pleasure to be here. Wonderful. So, Mark, you've had such a diverse career so far, uh, but before we get into your career, investing, analytics, ETFs, uh, and high-performing habits, I'd love to start by hearing a bit about your background. So, could you tell me a little bit about where you grew up and who and what were the biggest formative experiences and influences on your life as a young person? Uh, wow, great, great question. Um, and not something I often get asked, but you know, it's nice to share. Uh, I grew up in Sydney. Uh, I, with my family, moved there uh, at the age of two. So we moved from the Philippines, migrated over here. Um, I grew up in Ryde to begin with, and then we moved to Lidcombe. Uh, so I went to school around that area and also around Bankstown. I worked around there. Um, still have family out in in that area. I played basketball um, for teams out there and in high school. So, yeah, I was very much a Western Sydney boy uh, growing up. And then in terms of uh, people that influenced, it's it's got to be the parents, really. Um, I mean, I've never had anyone that um, has been more inspirational to me than mum and dad, the sacrifices that they made working two jobs, you know, a day job, they had a cleaning business at night, they did um, amazing things to be able to, you know, just being migrants and yet buying a house and paying that off um, was an amazing, you know, inspiration for me. And and that kind of uh, mentality of hard work has really stuck with me throughout all this time. That's really inspirational. It's, um, it's interesting to hear. And I imagine that with your mum and dad being migrants, and growing up in Western Sydney and, and seeing and admiring their hard work, that that sort of compelled you to take on certain behaviours and attitudes and 
and that I guess is part of your personality traits today. Would that be would that be fair? Yeah, that that would absolutely be. And you know, one of the things that also kind of happened was that um, I think I kind of hit a peak moment in schooling where uh, I was able to you know learn pretty well and put in a certain amount of effort to get good results but then at a certain point in you know midway through high school it wasn't good enough kind of thing and I didn't really have uh, as good grades towards the end of high school but then there was some point in uni where what I found was that you know I just needed to put in that extra effort you know if I really wanted to get the good results and get that dopamine from having those really nice results it just meant like um, further effort and that was already instilled in me it's just that it kind of took a couple of years for that stuff to click but when it did you know I was able to achieve um, quite a few interesting things in my career that I don't think I would have had I not had um, the fortitude to really push on with some of the challenges uh, whether it's technology or data or other um, in the career so yeah definitely um, definitely back from the parents on that one Fantastic. Yep. And so then, Mark, after your early years, your professional career started off in insurance and then working as an auditor for a big four firm, uh, PwC, and then as an analyst at Commonwealth Bank. I'd love to hear about that, those early roles and how that path helped form your passion for analytics and the power of technology and data to transform the way we make decisions because that's sort of been now the, the key theme around what you're doing currently. So tell us about those early professional years. Yeah, it was, uh, it was really interesting, my way of getting into data. Um, even going back to uni, like I was interested in the computer sciences. I didn't do that. Um, as a way of study, uh, I tried a few subjects as electives and just didn't, it didn't really work out um, as well as I'd hoped. And so I went and did accounting. But um, coming out of that, I did a year and a half as an auditor, and then I got into the analyst role at CBA. And what I found there was that there was a lot of uh, wrangling of data is what you know the term would be now, uh, piecing together and gathering a lot of information and cleaning it up and making it into an easy to decipher kind of mess, um, still a mess, but like an easier to decipher mess so that we could create reports off that. And then I was exposed to the different kind of tools that are out there in the world of data analytics. And uh, I have to say that we didn't have great tools at that time at the bank. Um, that's definitely changed a lot since you know 13 uh, 12 13 years ago but the the thing was was that the the exposure that i had to that it showed me that there are um ways that you can be really efficient at deciphering information um getting some insights out of that information and doing that in a very kind of quick way and what i was lucky to have was a friend working at a boutique uh, software consultancy and I went and interviewed there and they showed me some of the tools that they sell to their customers and I was just wowed by the capabilities of what it could do visually how quickly it could perform some of the tasks that I thought you know would take a while to to do myself with the current um, kind of skills and tools that I had at the time so it was a bit of a game changer being opened um, to me uh, that that world it was like um, I guess maybe it's like um, Dorothy 
landing in the Wizard of Oz, uh, sorry, landing in Oz and and seeing this whole new world for the first time. So it kind of felt like that, that there was this just this big eye-opening experience, very positive, um, and there was definitely a learning curve. But uh, yeah, I learned a lot as a consultant and was able to to take a lot of that information and and skill as to how to manipulate uh, data, how to get insights out of it, the pros and cons of doing certain things in, in, in certain ways, and learning about both. Um, the, the, there's two sides to data, and you know this is kind of what I do currently. There's all the piecing together and and connecting the dots and what you would call the data workflows and how the data the, the pipelines of data that um, work in a business. And then there's the stories that you've got to tell with the data because data, you could have the cleanest and the best data out there, but if it's sitting there doing nothing, there's there's no point to it all. So yeah, I, I guess, you know, I've learned both that, um, that, that data workflows and that data story side over the course of a decade of doing this stuff. But a lot of that's been in the investment space, but um, it applies to many, many industries. So it's been quite powerful for my career, um, hopefully for my clients as well and the people that I've worked with. But yeah, it's overall just been amazing to um, have been lucky enough to fall into this world of data, which we seem to be so consumed by nowadays. So yeah, very, very cool. Amazing. That's a great summary, Mark. I can definitely hear the passion in your voice around um, data and data analytics. I'm also uh, involved in that space and I really yeah, admire what it can do to empower outcomes. And yet, particularly in the business world, I think that's where a lot of the adoption is happening at the moment, although we're starting to see it happen in the not-for-profit sector as well, which is something that I'm interested in. And those early experiences across all of those different companies, I think it sounds like you've built a really good solid toolkit from that, which is great. Let's let's dive into that a little bit more. That's a few of those experiences in particular I'm really interested in. So after the, the role with the Commonwealth Bank, you worked as the management consultant, uh, focusing on software solutions. Um, then with data research firm QMG, where you led their technology transformation. And then, of course, in a, at Canaccord um, in London. And then you eventually moved into a business development role with the ASX. So a lot of different roles that you, you had. What were your major learnings from those experiences? And in particular, I'm really interested in um, QMG and their unique brand of equity research. Could you tell us a little bit about that and how you were involved in that? Yeah, sure. Um, so let, let's go in chronological order. Uh, I'll say a bit about QMG first, then Canaccord, then the uh, the ASX, and then we'll circle back to the the research that, that QMG was doing. But um, QMG was my uh, very fortuitous and lucky kind of move to get into the investment space. Uh, I don't know about you, Tom, but like I, I'd never imagined myself getting into the investment space. I'd seen movies, I'd read um, books about it. I, you know, maybe done a little bit of dabbling into investments myself, very small, but uh, I was very lucky to get a start because one of the software companies that um, I was working at at the time, they were trying to sell um, some analytic software to this uh, what seemed like a research consultancy and we couldn't get the deal done um, but I really liked and was interested by what these guys are doing and on a holiday um, in Europe uh, at the time I decided you know what I'm going to go back home and try to build my own thing 
um, do my own consulting. Like I, I want to do this thing on my own. That was back in 2014. And the first client I reached out to, which was these guys at QMG, turned around and basically said that, look, you could do that, but why don't you come along with us on this journey? And I didn't know who they were as well um, as I would get to know, but the guys that started it, one was the ex-head of Merrill Lynch here, head of equities, Matt Unsworth. Um, he had a business partner, Angus McGowan, and they formed this QMG thing. They were in the AFR when that came out. Um, so it was very kind of, they were well known on the street. And when we'd work together, you know, he'd get Matt would get stopped every now and then um, when we were in Sydney or, or in Melbourne because people recognize him. So I learned a lot from them. They were a, a group of ex-investment um, bankers. They knew a lot about the research um, area. They taught me investing and I brought with me um, the tools that I knew at the time around how to be more efficient with data and technology. And we would do things, for example, where it used to take them maybe three to five hours to do a report. Um, through the skills that I had, we turned that into, say, a 30-minute job. And now the rest of the time was enhancing the report and adding more data and rigor and statistical analysis. So we just were constantly improving to take stuff to clients. And then um, we, two years later, were able to joint venture um, QMG into Canaccord Genuity. So QMG had a macroeconomic research kind of view and uh, Canaccord at the time and they still do to this day, they have a product called Quest. And Quest is a multi-factor stock rankings tool, looking at things like value, quality, momentum. So, so these two companies, in terms of the research tools we had, were very complementary. And we joint ventured um, QMG into Canaccord and moved to London as a result. Um, and that was a great experience working um, on the streets in, in London and, and seeing what it was like there in that financial centre and work with some great people um, over there. I also got to work with the Canaccord guys here in Australia, in Sydney and Melbourne. Um, and that was quite interesting. But then the, the joint venture uh, didn't work out. It was around the time of Brexit. And so a lot of things, you know, were a bit in question in the markets at the time, um, wondering what the impact uh, was going to be. And so when that joint venture didn't work out, um, we did look for other things that we could do in London, but since um, Visa for me was tied to having um, some work and I didn't want to just do any uh, work in London that was not financial related, even though I did have some offers around there. So I just decided, well, you know, pull up stumps, time to come back. And um, coming back home, uh, I got a job at the ASX where they had a, a data hub uh, project. They were building a platform uh, called Datasphere which has been released um, to a, a small set of clients. They've got some interesting data sets that are, that are on there. But what I found was that I had less involvement um, in the data uh, being over at the ASX and it was much more sales related. And I, I probably was there a little bit um, too early at the time. It was nice to help set up and experience, you know, what clients were after if they were going to get some interesting insights from the ASX. But, um, you know, they, they're going to do some amazing things over there, I'm sure. Uh, but for me, I, I'm the tinkerer, right? So I needed to get my hands dirty and by not being mm -hmm. able to really do that, it was pretty hard, um, you know, seeing some solutions where, or, you know, seeing some problems with clients where I'm like, I know how to solve that, but that's not the hat that I'm wearing right now. So I had to, you know, just hold off. But, um, you know, that's why I've moved out and I've, I'm doing my own thing now. But going back to the QMG thing, the interesting thing there with the research that they had was that, 
Um, and they still do, but they only use it for internal purposes. So um, it was, QMG was interesting. So even though we were on the sell side, equity research, we were part owned by a, a group um, called Tosca Fund, which is a big asset manager in London. And they've got offices here in Australia. And Matt's actually back working for Tosca Fund in, in Melbourne um, and distributing uh, through that vehicle. But they had some uh, economists that had come up with this way of looking at different statistical data sets, piecing it together from these government agencies in the US, in Europe, uh, the UK, et cetera, and working out on a monthly basis what earnings was going to be for different sectors, industries, and subsectors. And by doing that, you could see that some companies have very strong correlation to the earnings trends that we would figure out for sales and margins. And we could, when you know, you, you know this, Tom, that to uh, companies report half yearly or quarterly. If you've got a read into what potentially, and on a strong read, they're going to do before they announce those numbers, that could be quite an interesting kind of um, uh, preview into what the market's expecting. You might have analysts that are calling, you know, the majority of analysts might be saying that it's going to um, underperform and you've, you've got data that's showing actually the sector is going to outperform and this one's strongly correlated because this company makes up most of that sector. Um, you, you've got a winning trade there. Uh, so we use that data set to try to find those unique moments in, in the market. So, yeah, that was it for the QMG side of things and um, the history of QMG all the way to the ASX to, yeah, to, to get back to Australia. Fascinating approach to using data analytics to yeah, pull that, those uh, statistical sets and, and use it to, to correlate or to cause some form of prediction. That's fascinating and great that you got to work as well with some really impressive co-founders. I think that's always really important um, and obviously gave you your first touch of the sector. Um, so you've then obviously been back to Australia um, when you returned w working with the ASX and now you're continuing your pursuit of bringing data analytics and other disruptive technologies to the marketplace yourself. And you mentioned, you know, you're a tinkerer and you like building your own things. So you founded your own companies, New Era Analytics and ETF Tracker. So let's zero in on those two businesses and that and the ETF space. I'd love to hear about the formation of ETF Tracker. You know, it's, it looks like a super cool tool. What uh, what was the origins of that? Um, how did it come to be? And also, what are the major thematic trends that you're seeing at the moment in the ETF space? ETF Tracker, first of all, the, the tool is is something free for the market to use. And the reason I made it free was that Initially, it was just something to showcase. Um, okay, so I'm, I stepped away from the ASX and I moved into a, um, a head of analytics role at an advisory firm. And I just wanted to build up a suite of um, demonstration products that showcase what is possible, the art of the possible with data. And um, what better way than to use something that I was very familiar with working at the ASX, and that was the um, the monthly data that was coming out of the ASX uh, investment products team, which would list LITs and M fund and ETPs, the exchange traded products. And with that exchange traded products that um, they would release, Chiax would also release uh, a version for, for their ETFs as well. And a lot of it was um, in just, well, all of it was in Excel and PDF format. So, 
what would often happen was that if someone wanted to compare things month to month, you'd have to download the Excel files, piece it together. It's a bit of manual work. Um, unless you were going to update that process all the time, it was something that you might have to repeat every now and then whenever you were going to do it. And I just thought, well, look, this is a very clear example. I was doing this kind of stuff with ABS statistics and statistics all over the world when I was working at QMG. So here's a clear example of me building something with that. And then um, I basically built the tool with some uh, infographics there and some charts and tables. And I took it out to um, the public and I actually took it to some media organizations to see if this might help um, with what they were looking to to do um, internally. And when they were questioning, you know, people um, or interviewing people to do with ETFs, could they use this tool? Would it be something that would be useful to them? And one of them turned around and said, well, why don't you just come on the show and explain what's uh, what's in the numbers? So that's when that really just took off. And whenever there's monthly updates, um, I've crunched the numbers pretty quickly. Um, I've got a lot of the the processes automated, although there, there is like a manual kind of check over on that. And uh, yeah, I, I give monthly updates when um, when the numbers come out on Ausbiz and have been to other conferences and, and have done other podcasts to talk about this kind of stuff. So ETF Track is this continuous, I would say, evolution of different tools and the application of data, um, data science and technology to understanding the ETF market. So it evolved from just the app to the app and website to the app, website and blog. Now we've got a forum. Um, I've started my own podcast, which I'll plug at the end of uh, this episode. But um, in terms of the the data, the trends that we've seen through ETF Tracker um, over the last year that we've been uh, doing this so early or mid 2020, we've seen quite a few interesting things, such as the growth of the markets to being over a hundred billion in FUM. So it grew seventy percent from June last year to June this year. So when I did the numbers, I was on Ausbiz a little bit um, a couple of weeks ago. Actually, maybe it was last week, and it was one hundred and thirteen and a half billion. So that was like seventy three percent growth, but with the Chiax numbers that came out, because they their numbers come out a couple of days later, um, it's actually 115.7 billion. So um, the market is just continuing to see positive, like above $1 billion in growth each month, um, and sometimes well beyond that. And we should hit over 120 by the end of the year. Um, we've seen the rise of active ETFs coming to market much more so. And as part of that, there's a lot of these funds that were closed-ended funds, such as Magellan, Hyperion, um, uh, Loftus Peak, and a few others, uh, closed-ended funds that are turning into ETFs as um, a bit of a popular move, not just here in Australia, but also the US, because over here, the the LITs, for example, and LICs, uh, even though they might have had positive growth, Right and being outstanding and, and award-winning, they still were not seeing the type of flows that you would see in the ETF markets. And so it just made more sense to convert to, to something like that. And then the other things we saw was that ESG um, has continued to be quite a popular thematic. Uh, there's 21 or 22 ET, uh, ETFs that are in the market right now that are in that space. 
It's 4.4 billion. It was only 1.6, I think, um, not too long ago, sometime last year. Uh, so that's continuing to be quite popular. And the other thing that we're seeing right now is that there's just more providers um, coming to market and there's more tools that are enabling people to analyze um, what is going on in the markets. So that's like tools that we're seeing that are homegrown. So there's ETF tracker. I list a couple of the other providers of these tools on my website. Like I'm not, you know, here to um, necessarily compete with these guys. The ETF tracker work is, you know, it's a service I provide to the market and it markets the work that I'm doing with data and technology and I get work out of doing all that data and technology consulting. So it's a nice kind of um, ecosystem that is that is being done there. But I'm sure that we're going to see some really interesting things in the next year, whether it's Bitcoin ETFs or it's other thematics that come to market. But yeah, ETFs are just really the, the flavor. They've been the flavor of the month for a while. And, you know, I think I picked the winning horse by diving into ETFs when I did last year. Yeah, I'd have to agree. It's uh, it's a horse that's running very well. And uh, I think, yeah, your your um the popularity of the ETF tracker tool is is probably highlighting or correlated with the success of ETFs more broadly as you said um it's incredible numbers that you're just running off then um and i think yeah you probably will see that continue as you as you alluded to so uh, l- let's turn now to the analytics more generally and also how it interfaces with uh, equity research and, and, and funds as well, fund managers. So, you know, having founded your own business, Mark, New Era Analytics, and you just mentioned that then, and having worked across the equity research space, I think you're quite well placed to comment on the state of data analytics within equity research and within funds management. Um, so, yeah, I'm quite interested in that because, you know, in some areas of the market, the people will claim the efficient market hypothesis works and that prices reflect all available information. I, I don't think that's the case everywhere and particularly in the small cap market. But have you generally witnessed any major changes or shifts across your career in terms of how funds are changing in their approach to using data or data analytics? Is this something that you're seeing change quite rapidly? Uh, yeah, I, I think so. Um, I don't know about rapidly. Um, rapidly would mean that I'd seen maybe, you know, what some of these players here in Australia um, had done a few years ago and compare it to what I know that they were doing when I when I was at the ASX. And my role there at the ASX was to interface and, and understand what was going on in the market. So when we would have these meetings, um, getting to know the buy side, the sell side. Um, What I did see and observe was that some of them were creating um, their own kind or they were hiring uh, data professionals and that was something new for them. And even after leaving the ASX and talking to some of these companies to see if there was like some consulting work that we could do there, I did see that a lot of these were either furthering what they were already doing or just getting started um, in that space and hiring data scientists and um, bringing along interns and doing that kind of stuff. So I definitely see that the market um, looks like it's becoming more open um, to using data and analytics tools, uh, not just through the hiring, but also in terms of the conversations. Um, when you talk to some of these places and they they ask you around like what kind of tools you, you might be 
um, doing or you, you ask them about what kind of tools they're looking at and they rattle off names like Power BI and Tableau and having people that with the Python type skills. It, it's really interesting because um, say in London and even just like from being involved in the markets and you read and you, you look at the news and you listen to podcasts and you watch YouTube and you would see that um, the data science and having conversations as well, you'd see that the data kind of function um, typically a data scientist, was oftentimes like a smaller role within many of these firms. It was, when I, when I say smaller role, I mean in number, not in importance. It's very an important role and it always was, but it always seemed to be this kind of separation of like, okay, so the data scientist or the quant, as we call it in our, term, in, in our market, um, quantitative analyst, would be doing something um, in the ether and it was only later that that kind of stuff would be brought back into the wider kind of team. And I see more, and we, we're, I already knew it back then, that there just needed to be more integration of that. But we do feel that there is more and more integration of that coming um, to the markets, not just overseas, but also here. I think that there is definitely more room for growth. Um, what's being done now, it, it'll never be enough, Tom, because... The markets are all about getting that edge and getting that um, using data and technology and whether it's now scraping news and better understanding around sentiment and understanding that quicker and being able to enact on that quicker. Um, there's always going to be this need for data. The markets run on data and will continue to innovate. And so we need to see that more and more and more. Um, data technology, I think, can help in a number of ways and for me like firsthand I was observing that it was helping analyze uh, data really quickly providing um, scores and sentiment on new data um, or, or on articles and being able to to rank um, articles that you should be reading versus just ignore um, it was even doing things for us for example uh, writing the baseline of an equity research report pulling together the charts and the numbers and writing the initial kind of uh, sentences of an equity research report or a portfolio update. And then you would have the analyst instead of having to piece everything together themselves and try to figure out what to say, um, if you could codify a lot of what they were normally doing and then just get them to put their opinion and tweak a few things over the top, it made for a far more efficient kind of uh, investment process that meant that you could spend more time in front of customers. And I think there's still efficiencies to be gained. Not everyone is necessarily embracing um, all this data type stuff yet. Um, but I think that what people should do is ask the question of how long some of the processes that they're doing already take, how much does that cost? And how much would it cost if um, they were to bring in something that could improve that? and repeat that for other processes. I think they'll find that if they embrace technology, they'll be able to level up. So hopefully, you know, what I've seen um, as an a, a evolution of how data is being used will just continue, um, at least for the foreseeable future. Amazing, yeah, that's a really good insight. Not many people would have, yeah, your view of, and that, that sort of insight into the intersection of analytics with, um, with the fund research or equity research and, and funds management. That's fascinating, particularly from the efficiency angle with, you know, using macros to auto-generate sections of reports, but also then things like sentiment analysis. I mean, that's so important as well, isn't it, in terms of how 
consumers view particular brands and, and companies and businesses, but also how the market is reacting to certain stocks and sentiments often a driver of share price as well. So amazing insights. So let's dive into your portfolio now, Mark. So this exciting bit, at least from my angle. Um, would you be able to share your personal investing style and maybe some of the major asset classes or individual positions that you've invested in. You know, I'm really interested in understanding your style, you know, whether it's are you highly diversified and you do mostly utilize ETFs or you know, given you, you're so proficient in that space, <clears throat> or do you undertake any active stock picking as part of your own portfolio mix, Mark? So my portfolio mix is uh, very ETF uh, focused, as you can imagine. Um, I do put my money where my mouth is. Uh, I've had my own kind of things that I've tested um, statistically in terms of what I think uh, are drivers of pricing in the markets. Um, some things are a bit hit and miss. It's not something I'll put in the app just yet, but I continue to harness and try to hone um, my skills in picking ETFs. But one thing that I have uh, definitely learned um, over time, and it was very different to when we were writing equity research and each quarter or each month we would have, here's our recommended picks and doing these monthly rebalances. That's fine when you're a big institutional investor, but when you're a retail trader, you've got to, you know, the different context that people are in will drive what um, it, what's the trading kind of frequency. For, for a particular person. And I found for me trying to replicate what I was doing in the institutional space, just it didn't work really. And whether that was timing in 2018, 2019, um, or if it was just, uh, you know, um, over trading. Um, so ETFs are definitely a heavy kind of focus of mine. Um, there's definitely more of a buy and hold strategy. And I'm a firm believer of time uh, in the market than trying to time the market. But that being said, I do my, um, I, I put in money into the market whenever I've got something spare, you know, from the earnings that I've got. And I want to just grow that continuously. And whether you want to call it dollar cost averaging or just being, you know, smart about your money. Um, but in terms of the the areas, it'd be tech heavy. So I do believe in buying what you know. If I worked in, say, another industry or something like that, um, property or healthcare or or banking uh it'd be very different because if i knew that space really well and i could um discern from the different uh competitors in there which are the ones that you want to back uh, as a horse an investment horse then i would do something like that but because i work in technology um and i have a you know good understanding of um technologies that i think do work so for example the zoom play last year I have invested in, you know, ETFs that have that exposure and my style is looking under the hood because I've got the data, the monthly data that comes out from the ASX, the holdings data that's updated very frequently, almost daily for, for some ETFs and for some you have to read um, further statements to get that. So it's tech heavy. There's a focus on ESG just because I believe in sustainability and it kind of makes sense that... Um, sustainable companies will outperform because if a company is sustainable, it's got good governance, it's um, it's got a good kind of environmental outlook, then it is built to last, right, with the finite resources in this world. So um, ESG and tech, uh, 
uh, the ones that I look at um, across a broad kind of scale within the ETF landscape. So when I say tech, I have um, Fang as one of the ETFs that I was holding. I changed that out to an NDQ to be a bit more broad in the US. Uh, in Asia, I have Asia as an ETF that I hold um, to get that Asian exposure, although it has been in a bit of trouble um, with Chinese news uh, putting down, um, clamping down on education companies and who knows what's next, but at least there is some broad kind of scope uh, there for Asia. And then closer to home, I've got ATEC, uh, ATEC being the Australia uh, technology type companies. Um, there's the WAX stocks that we have here, which is our counter to uh, the FANG um, overseas. And then the, the thing that I like to do is uh, to look at what are the metrics. So what it's not just like using data and analytics to try to pick uh, what the investments are. And in the ETF space, I look at flows as a way of gauging popularity. I look at how well it's trading, not just in terms of price performance, but you know, is trading quite choppy? Um, are there a lot of trades happening um, to indicate popularity and you get the transaction metrics from the ASX and CHI-X. But I also look at um, liquidity. Is this a stock that if I were to get out of, sorry, an ETF that I wanted to get out of, does it look like there's enough liquidity to be able to do so? And does it trade at a good spread? Um, so that bid to ask spread and they you get that data from the ASX and CHI-X. So is there good enough metrics from a risk perspective as well as has it exhibited um, strong performance that are favorable to what I like to see um, in an ETF. And then piecing all of that together, um, it also lends itself to the way that I keep an eye um, on my uh, portfolio and what's going on in the markets. Um, I don't, uh, and I've learned this through the mentality, the the way that I play um, the, the investment is that I have a core and satellite type approach. It's not necessarily 60-40. Um, there's a lot of debate around whether the 60-40 kind of play is uh, still alive or whether it's very much the old way. But I do have ETFs that um, I put more money into and then I play the, um, the thematics around the edge a little bit more loosely in terms of how much I decide to put in into that. So, you know, rounding it out, it's investing in what I know and what I think is going to be, you know, the future of um, the, the world. Uh, and I have mostly ETFs, although I have picked a number of um, individual stocks uh, as well. And I just keep an eye on things and I look at the metrics and the numbers. Um, and thankfully, I've used, you know, the ETF tracker to actually give me an update on what's, you know, um, what my portfolio is looking like, not just from the pricing, because you'll get that from Comsec and wherever you're trading your your portfolio, but also to look at the other metrics and seeing whether the portfolio still looks healthy. So that's how I kind of do it. Great. Yeah, that's a really, really sensible approach, I think. Um, and yeah, you you sleep very well at night, I'm sure, with that sort of approach with the, with a range of ETFs and also, you're you're looking at where you get where you'll perhaps be achieving higher growth within those important thematics and 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 trends and sectors. So it's an interesting yeah interesting approach, Mark. And it sounds like you're although you're you're not being super active with individual stocks, you're still active in a sense around the basket of ETFs that you choose. So I'm sure that's working out quite well. Um, so let's go into our last question, which is the the favorite of mine. That I like to ask on every 
every uh, podcast episode, um, mostly because the listeners of this podcast come from a wide variety of backgrounds, but all of them love investing, um, either as a hobby or professionally, um, and improving their um, habits and, and, and abilities. So we want to explore high-performing habits that can help these listeners grow into higher-performing versions of themselves. So Mark, you're a high-performing person. What would your top two habits or routines or behaviors be that you've adopted in your life to be more effective at your life's pursuits? Yeah, that's a a really, uh, really good question. I, I guess from all of the things that I've done in my career, they all culminate around uh, a certain theme um, and that main theme is around efficiency and I guess the the thing that I would say that um, has been a habit of mine it's almost stemming from from laziness I don't remember who said this quote but there's um, a famous maybe an investor or famous boss that said something like he wants lazy employees and the reason for that is that a lazy employee is going to try to find the more efficient way of doing things and i've learned from working with data and technology that to not accept the status quo around how things are currently done but to to do things in a way that especially if the task is repeatable so whether it's in the investing space or whether it's with your work trying to find ways to improve uh, those tasks, because with that spare time that you have, now you can do other things. You can uh, be more value-add. So definitely efficiency. Um, there are ways to be more efficient without necessarily having to employ technology, but I just find technology and data really help. Um, and then the other habit is to just continuously explore things beyond um your boundaries. So let's just say that I work in, you know, in in my space, I'm exposed to data, I'm exposed to investments, a lot of finance type stuff. But it's also important to uh, expose yourself to and and learn from areas that are outside of your immediate environment, because sometimes the best solutions have come perpendicular. They're, They're not things that are sitting within your particular industry. Um, I've seen that as a consultant going into, say, consulting to the property space or consulting to healthcare and coming from an understanding that is completely different, but approaching things from a different angle um, has been something that I've found I can do quite well because I've had that habit of converse, conversing with people that are outside of that space, reading news and articles that are outside of my own main interests. So, you know, looking to things outside of your area of expertise and looking at ways to be efficient um, have been really behaviors that have helped not just my career, but also in my investing. They're really good tips. Thanks, Mark. So, Mark, it's been a pleasure to have you on this podcast and to hear your story through the world of business, analytics, equity research, and of course, ETFs. Um, I've really enjoyed the conversation. Uh, If listeners want to learn more about the EDF space or to hear more from you personally, um, where should listeners go? Uh, This is the fun one because there's there's a lot of different areas um, and I'll probably overdo it, but there's really three main hats that I wear and we've spoken about the ETFs. Um, so that is etftracker.com.au. So ETF tracker, all one word, no hyphens or anything like that, .com.au. And when people go there, they've got the app. 
Um, there's also a forum, there's blogs, and there's a podcast. And, you know, you can find us on Spotify. Um, that name, ETF Tracker, is just there on all the socials, Twitter, Instagram. No Facebook. Um, we are on TikTok. So <laughs> if there's anyone that wants to check out some of the videos on TikTok, definitely look at that. Although I do question why I'm on there. Um, but anyway, yeah, ETF Tracker is very easy to find. And as I mentioned, we launched a podcast. So I probably have to have you on there, Tom, at some point. Um, but that's called Exchange Traded Fridays. So it sticks with the ETF name. I'm surprised that no one has taken that. So that is mine now. And um, basically, I put together a newsletter that goes out on Fridays. And then just because some people don't want to read it, um, I also record a video and then turn that video into a podcast so that uh, people can listen or watch if that's easy. But that's the ETF tracker. Um, my main business is called New Era Analytics, and there's a whole heap of other examples of data work that I do uh, on there. And people can find New Era new era analytics at neweraanalytics.com.au and then the final one is that um, apart from this and we've spoken about this tom but i run a data association on the side called data science and ai australia which was started by other people but um together we've all grown this to about nearly six thousand followers um and we do a whole lot of um events there's a couple of quantitative finance um, events that we're running in August. And then uh, at the end of the year, we're going to run a big hackathon on data for social goods. So there's really some interesting things that we're that I'm doing. But if people want to just Google me, type in Mark Monfort, and um, hopefully you can find one of those or they, they find it in the show notes from your podcast. Brilliant. Thanks so much, Mark. And I can say that, uh, you know, you are the go-to person in this space in Australia. So it's been such a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Thanks very much for having me and um, I look forward to uh, seeing this podcast when it's out. That was Mark Monford, founder of ETF Tracker, New Era Analytics and a data guru. If you'd like to learn more about the ETF Tracker tool, you can find a link to the website in the show notes. If you like this episode, feel free to hit subscribe on Spotify or Google Podcast and stay up to date on future episodes. You can also subscribe to TEP Investments on LinkedIn or via the website for the quarterly newsletter. <laughs>